set the boundaries of the ocean vast, carved out the mountains from the distant past, molded a man from the miry clay, breathed in him life, but he went astray. I own the cattle on a thousand hills, I write the music for the whippoorwills, control the planets with their rocks and rills, but give you freedom to use your own will. I hold the waters in my mighty hand, spread out the heavens with a single span, make all creation tremble at my voice, but my own sons come to me by choice. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I write the music for the whippoorwills. Control the planets with their rocks and rills. But give you freedom to use your own will. Even the oxen know the master's stall. And sheep will recognize the shepherd's call. I could demand your love, I own you twice. But only willing love is worth the price. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I write the music for the whippoorwills. Control the planets with their rocks and rills. But give you freedom to use your own will. And if you want me to, I'll make you whole. I'll only do it though if you say so. I'll never force you for I love you so. I give you freedom, is it yes or no? I give you freedom, is it yes or no? I give you freedom. Is it yes or no? Amen. <clears throat> Aren't you glad we have that opportunity, that freedom to make a choice, to choose whether or not we want the Lord Jesus Christ in our life or not? And Boy, i tell you what, I wish more people made that decision, amen? I wish everybody did, but uh, that's not always the case. But praise God, you have, I trust, and if not, you will before the end of the night. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. I don't know what it is. I think maybe it might be all this change of weather or something. I'm not sure, but for some reason, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sitting next to Brother Bob. Maybe I'm allergic to him or something. I don't know, but I just... Started feeling it. Brother Bob, you. Somebody I should be concerned about allergic wise, you. No problems, right? Okay. Bob's good to go. It must be me, amen? It's got to be me. I know it's got Brother Bob now. That's good. I was standing by Mr. Harris back there, too, so you never know. That could have certainly be it, you know. You don't know what's in that beard of his. Galatians chapter 4 tonight, Galatians chapter 4 verse 8, <clears throat> we had the uh, nursing home today and that went really well, we had, I think we had, um, what, 27, 24, 25, something like that, 
Yeah, I mean, we had a good group in there, 24, 25 today, and that was a great group, and we're excited about that. When we started, there was probably only about eight there. They just kept coming in and kept coming in. And, uh, <clears throat> and one song I was singing, and uh, what we do is we all have a <clears throat> kind of do like a line dance, you know. <clears throat> well, maybe not a line dance, but we don't dance, but, but we get happy in the Lord. But, but uh, we line up, and then and, and everybody starts singing and doing all the gestures to all the songs. And so there are like four or five of us up front, and then there's them out there. And so everybody's singing to a different group of people, kind of like, so we kind of keep it intimate, close. And then, um, <clears throat> then I, I'll do some singing, and sometimes Brother Josh will do some singing. And uh, this particular day, I was scheduled to sing, and I have this, this nomad monster box or something you're supposed to, it's called or something. It's Bluetooth. Anyway, didn't get charged enough, apparently. So right in the middle of my song, I'm singing along, and I'm going, you know, all, you know really going at it, and it just dies. <clears throat> I just kept singing, and Josh jumps on the piano and starts playing it. It was like we meant to do that or something. <clears throat> now, he couldn't play the rest of the ones I needed, but anyway, he played that one. No, but it turned out, <laughs> well, I'm really putting people down tonight. Okay, so, but it really did. It turned out great. It was pretty, pretty neat. And then we did one acapella. He played one. We just like to have a good time with him, and boy, we had a wonderful time. And then one of the ladies in the church made uh, these um, lap things. What are they called? Lap blankets? Lap throws, they call them, yeah. <clears throat> I, I can't remember what I called them. But anyway, uh, they, they're, they're this lay over your lap. <clears throat> and so they, she made those for all the, all the ladies. And so we were able to pass those out to all the ladies, and they were thrilled. I took a picture of them all. And then they told me I wasn't allowed to take pictures with people. You're not allowed to take pictures of people at the nursing homes anymore, I guess, because of the new laws, all the HIPAA laws and stuff like that. So I assured her that I would not be posting that on the uh, internet and she confiscated my phone of course and <clears throat> took me down to the office no I'm teasing but anyway it was kind of interesting you're not allowed to take pictures anymore because you know the privacy of people you know you gotta be careful isn't it funny though that you can take pictures of anybody and everybody you want and you post them anywhere you want it's the craziest thing in the world and it used to be you could get in trouble for doing that nowadays it's just kind of like if you're alive and you're walking around anywhere in public or you're anywhere even in your own home people are allowed to take pictures of you it seems like Posted on the internet. I don't know about you. How many of you don't appreciate when someone takes a picture of you and puts it right on Facebook? How many of you have a problem with that? Don't you? You do? Some of you do? Okay. Some of you don't? Okay. <clears throat> Obviously, my picture's been everywhere. If you see any of those uh, catalogs or anything with those real husky fellows in it and stuff, you know, that's really just me with another face. They've been using it for years, okay? But anyway, yeah, but nonetheless, uh, I'm not a real fan of that, you know? You go to the family picnic, and next thing you know, you're on Facebook everywhere in the world. I don't know. I don't mind it at, at family picnics, but I hate it at church picnics. I don't know why. But anyway, so don't post me, all right? Post your friends, anybody else you want, but not me, okay? I mean, because I, I, if you don't get the right side, it just doesn't turn out right. <clears throat> all right? So anyway, Galatians chapter 4, all right? Look at what it says in verse 8. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I 
preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Again, I don't get over this passage. This passage just really just kind of rocks my world. It blows my mind. I honestly struggle. As I read through this, I just am like baffled at how this happens. And yet it does, doesn't it? <clears throat> it did there in those days. And Paul's trying to say, wait a second. Let's slow down a little bit. Let's kind of regroup. Let's try to get perspective here, folks. You know what? That's what we have to do sometimes as well. Because we're human. We're flesh. We're just people. And sometimes we too have to do the same. And so we started asking questions. We, we asked, you know, what should a church member do if for some reason the pastor's they feel as though the pastor's becoming their enemy. And we talked about that, and we shared seven things that a church member could do. And then we began talking about, well, what should a pastor do if he's become the enemy in someone's eyes? And so we've gotten through four or five of them right now. We talked about he ought to expect it, but don't accept it as commonplace. You know, it's, it's going to happen because we're dealing with human beings. We're dealing with flesh. We're dealing with just... Atomic nature. It's going to happen to some degree or another. Even though we're new creatures in Christ, we still allow at times that old flesh to have control of us. So a pastor has to be kind of ready for it, but certainly it shouldn't be commonplace. Number two, evaluate the situation. Evaluate yourself and your response. So a pastor has to do those things. We said that as well. And then we kind of went on and we said this. We said that... He needs to express and extend love. Express and extend love. And number four, this is what we addressed the the week before. We said communicate and confront. Communicate and confront. And we really addressed that issue quite uh, at length. We talked about some basic rules of engagement concerning relationships. And those basic rules of engagement were, you know, that God deals with, kind of talk to us about issues when maybe someone else has hurt us, or in some cases, maybe we know that we might potentially have offended someone else. And he tells us how to deal with that. He gives us some rules of engagement. And, you know, those rules of engagement haven't changed, and they're still the same today. And it's important as believers that we apply those rules of engagement. Because when we fail to do that, We'll get a busy signal. Did you just hear that? I don't know whose phone that was, but that's pretty loud. You probably need a hearing aid. <clears throat> so anyway, oh, somebody's probably offended now. I'll have to, I don't know who it is, so I can't come to you and express the rules of engagement. You'll have to come to me, right? Okay. All right, just, okay, whatever. Okay, moving on. So we talked about those rules of engagement. And, and, and as a pastor, you know, if you, you, you believe or you're concerned that someone may believe that you are becoming the enemy in their mind or their eye, then you want to communicate and confront. You want to address that issue because it's not just going to go away on its own in most cases. It doesn't just happen. And so today we want to pick up, and, and this is the fifth one. This is 
<clears throat> this is the fifth one that, that, as a pastor, you need to do if indeed you believe somebody has kind of viewed you or <clears throat> is kind of finding you to be the enemy in their eyes. Number five, you need to guard your heart. You've got to guard your heart. And <clears throat> I'm talking from a pastor's perspective again. And sometimes, you know, you know, one of the greatest things that we can do in your marriage is to understand the perspective or the viewpoint of the other. You know, we talk about communicating. You know what mostly happens in our relationship and marriage is that we, 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 we are very bent on them understanding our point, our perspective. Let me, let me try to tell you how that makes me feel. Let me tell you what that's all about from my perspective, my point of view. When real communication takes place, when you really begin to understand the point of view of your mate. See, that's, that's the real issue. We, we, you know, we have to really consider their point of view, their perspective, how they see it. Right, wrong, or indifferent isn't the issue, but I've got to understand why does she feel the way she feels? How come she sees it the way she does? I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. However, I've got to understand where she stands and why she stands there and how come she feels the way she feels. And the moment I begin to have some concern about that and I start to exhibit that concern and I start to really listening to her to understand that aspect of it, you'd be amazed how many times you go, oh, now that makes sense why she said that. No, that makes sense why she feels that way. Oh, that makes sense why she's so upset when I did that or didn't do that. That makes perfect sense now because you're seeing it from her perspective. And it's the same thing for a lady seeing it from her husband. And so that's true here as we deal with this issue today with pastors. I'm trying to help you understand my position a little bit, where I am, because that'll help you to cope and to deal with some things. And it may even help you along the way when it comes to issues that you'll face if it ever gets a little bit touchy between you and I. And by the way, I'm human, and so are you. And so guess what? That could happen. And it's okay. It's all right as long as we do it the way God says to deal with it, as long as we handle it his way. It can be handled. It can be resolved. It can be fixed. <clears throat> so I'm kind of giving you that perspective today. And then, of course, we try to make some application to every leader in the room, whether you're a mom, a dad, or whether you're an employee, employer or you're an employee that's training other employees, whatever it might be, you're going to have people that you're going to have to deal with and address. So guard your heart. Guard your heart. That's a big factor here. What should a pastor do if he's become the enemy in someone's eyes? He better guard his heart. We'll talk about that. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership tonight. And, uh, Father, we know that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We know that you are anxious to pour out your spirit upon us to truly impact our lives through your word and through the presence of the spirit of God. A Father in heaven, we just come to you now and offer ourselves to you asking that you would speak to us in a very tangible way, a very clear manner. Father, we don't want to leave here not receiving what you'd have for us. Now, Father, help us to grow and Help us to glean exactly what you want. And Lord, may we leave here better for having come. Thank you for these that have gathered. And again, Lord, bless our teenagers and those that are traveling. May you protect them and keep them safe in the conference that they're in. And Lord, may they just truly learn and be refreshed. And Father, moved and motivated to be better for you. And bless us here tonight. Do the same thing in Christ's name. Amen. Number one, <clears throat> under guard your heart. As a pastor, when that situation takes place, when 
it appears or it seems that, well, you've become the enemy in someone's eyes. You've got to guard your heart. And you do that, first of all, by refusing to grow bitter. You have to refuse to grow bitter. And I know someone says, well, why would you grow bitter? Well, let me ask you something. When someone um, has, as, as, as Paul, have I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. You've become someone's enemy and you think to yourself, why have I become their enemy? How's come they're so angry with me? How's come they're so upset with me? How's come they're so irrational with me? How's come it's, it's not, why is it so complicated? How's come we can't just talk about it rationally, deal with this thing without emotion flying into the, the, you know, into the teeth of emotion? How's come that's the case? I'm telling you, it's difficult at times. Some of you have been there. Someone has attacked you. Someone comes after you, in a sense. Somebody addresses you in, in not so kind tones, and you think to yourself, how dare you? Let me tell you something. It's easy to grow bitter toward people. <clears throat> Especially if you are truly being unjustly accused. Sadly enough, even when we deserve it, we grow bitter. When, it's, when they should probably be angry with us at times, maybe. They're, someone should be upset with the way we failed to follow through with something or didn't do what we're supposed to do. And then we still get angry. How dare they think that? How dare they say that? Don't they realize? What, you know, but we're talking about in this case where you've simply spoke the truth. And now you're receiving, you're getting on that end of it. Listen, tell you what, preachers are just human too, and their flesh as well. They have to refuse to grow bitter. Look, if you would, in Ephesians 4.31. And you know what? You're going to be there. The truth is, is that this truth isn't just for the pastor. This truth isn't just for this situation. This biblical principle and truth is found in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. It is for all of us today as believers. Because whether or not it's a situation that we're describing and, and, and explaining from the book of Galatians or not, there's other situations that you face and you deal with. You at times are being misrepresented or, or maligned and mistreated somehow, some way. It's easy to grow bitter. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians 4.31. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I mean, you, got, you, have to, you have to make up your mind. You have to refuse not to grow bitter. It's the definition of bitterness. If you look it up, and, and I look things up a lot of times, you know, obviously you can compare Scripture with Scripture, and that's very important and it's absolutely necessary. One of the ways, though, I found that's very helpful, too, though, with certain words that, that maybe you come across and possibly you, you don't have the time to spend hours of studying a word out or something right at the moment, and you're like, man, I need to know what that word means. I tell you what, an old Webster's 1828 dictionary is pretty good. And I'll tell you what, sometimes, I mean, he uses scripture to kind of point to a, a, uh, um, you know, a, a definition. And, 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 and if you would look up the definition of bitterness in his 1828, you would see that he, he makes a statement in a figurative sense, extreme enmity, grudge, hatred, or rather an excessive degree of implacableness or passion and emotion. That implacableness has to do with unable to be appeased. You're so angry. You're so upset. It cannot be appeased. Uh, and, and he talks about as the bitterness of anger. So in the figurative sense, as you look at the word, as it's used and as it's, it's, it's applied, extreme enmity, a grudge, hatred. And that's, that's, and it can't be appeased, you know, bitterness. 
It, get, it takes root in our heart. It takes root in our life. And, and you know what? When you're faced with a situation where you're being unreasonably accused of something or, or kind of, uh, you know, an indictment's being made and you're like, I have no reason to believe I've done anything to hurt or harm or, or cause this, I tell you what, you better be careful that you don't eventually grow bitter. You've got you to gotta refuse to. And God makes a command. He says, no, instead of growing bitter, instead of allowing that to happen, he says, Hebrews chapter 12, turn there, verse 14 and 15. Here's how you need to deal with it. <clears throat> Again, we're being warned, man, don't allow bitterness or wrath, anger, clamor, or evil speaking. And we can define those down the road, maybe utilize that in a whole other message because there's so much there. It's so good. And, and I don't want to just try to spend too much time on that one verse, but maybe we'll do that another day because it is so necessary. But look what it says in Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. And again, God, his command or his directive concerning this issue is found in Hebrews 12, verse 14 and 15. He says, now, listen, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Okay, hit me with it then, Lord. What are we to do? Well, follow peace. Follow peace with all men. And what, what's the next word? Holiness. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Do you understand what's going on here? You know, the Bible will talk about it, that our goal is to live peaceably. As much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. And he says here in this particular case, follow peace with all men and holiness, which no man shall see the Lord. Do you realize that you and I can act unholy toward people? And wait a second, what is the, the ramification of that? According to the word of God in Hebrews 12, 14, and 15, it ultimately affects our relationship with the Lord. It blurs our vision of God. It keeps us from seeing him clearly. So whether or not a person is, is addressing you properly or not, whether they have done something that is ill-spirited or not, whether they have any real cause or not, it doesn't matter. The fact is, is that you as a person me as a pastor, then we have to follow peace with all men and holiness. So how would holiness treat that person? What would that look like? Well, unfortunately, sometimes we don't follow through with this verse, and as a result, we need to be aware that our relationship with the Lord has been affected. It's amazing how we think we can humble ourselves before God, but never humble ourselves before men and still be right with God. There's something wrong with that. That is not biblical, nor is it scriptural. Oh, I'm, I humble myself before God, but I will not humble myself before that man or that person or that group or that pastor or this person. Are you kidding me? You're not humble. No, you are lying to yourself. When we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, he says in 1 John. It's interesting, isn't it, how quickly we are to dismiss our own guilt. But we deceive ourselves. And in this case, as a pastor, I'll tell you what, in the flesh sometimes, you, you can really find it difficult to deal with people who seem to be somewhat irrational, who have a tendency, if you're not careful from your perspective as a pastor, look at you 
through jaded glasses, who see you in a different light than what you see yourself. And listen, we all do this. But here's the thing. Someone says, well, you said this. And you think, yeah, I did say that. And you meant this. And you think, I didn't mean that. You ever been there? And yet, if it's not addressed, if we do not engage, as the Bible says, if we don't apply those principles that we learned last week, then a lot of times it just builds and it builds and it takes root deeper and deeper in our lives. And ultimately, it creates real problems. So once the root of bitterness springs up, the Bible says it's going to trouble us. Notice what it says in verse 15. Looking diligently, he says, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Now, it's interesting that this root of bitterness springing up, that means it must already be planted. That means it's already in the soil. That means it's already taken some root here. It's, it's, it says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Do you know, when you start feeling the aspect of bitterness and it starts affecting your attitude toward others, it starts affecting your perspective toward situations and circumstances, do you realize it's already been rooted? Already, It's already been rooted. It's already been there. Now it's taken root to the point where it's starting to produce a stalk. It's coming up through the ground now. Now it's just finally reaching the surface and it's starting to be evidenced in your life, in your actions, in your attitude. So it says, I just need to change my attitude. No, you have to dig out the root of bitterness. I just to change my actions. No, you have to not only stop what you're doing, you have to get so close to Christ that he can put his finger on what caused the root of bitterness to start. Because there is a time and a place when that bitterness took root. There was something that happened that caused you to internalize that hurt to the point where it took root inside of you. And now it's finally starting to break through the surface and be exposed visibly. And notice how it ultimately affects you and I as believers. And thereby many be defiled. We think of that from a moral standpoint often, that word defiled. We've been defiled, that we've allowed ourselves to morally become unclean. Well, this root of bitterness, it says here that thereby many be defiled. Many. It's interesting, you know, I stand up and I share something like this today, and some people, maybe many of you are going, I don't get that. Why, Why we spend any time on this? Because it's not a big deal. Many be defiled. Do you realize how much bitterness can be, can be hidden under the surface before it's exposed? Do you realize how much time it takes some people before it finally overflows and it's visible? You know how good people are of hiding their real feelings? And God's saying, listen, as believers, man, you've got to be so careful here. 
People are going to lash out at you and people are going to misrepresent your words and people are going to go ahead and misunderstand what you're trying to do or what you're trying to say. And even if you have their best interest at heart, they're still going to believe somehow that you're their enemy at times. It's possible. it's, 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 It's quite possible at times. And you better not allow a root of bitterness to grow in your heart because you don't believe they're treating you the way they should. And that can happen to you too. You've been a teacher for years here. Nobody's ever recognized you. And a root of bitterness has been planted. Oh, it's not evidenced yet, but it's down there. Every once in a while, you feel it, and there's something that the blood starts to boil down here, but you don't let it come out here, and you don't let it affect this yet. The root's there already. If you don't deal with that, sooner or later, it'll get exposed. It'll pop, it'll pop through. You've got to deal with those things. And the only way you deal with them is according to the, 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 the way we dealt with it last week. What we talked about, these rules of engagement. It's not complicated. It's simple. You go talk to somebody. You deal with it. You just face it. You say, well, they'll think I'm a baby. Better that than have a root of bitterness eventually. Uh, wait, a root of bitterness do what? Defile you. And may I say as parents, do you know how it'll defile your children? It will. It'll defile the innocent ones. See, you might feel you have a reason to have a root of bitterness. You'll just share yours with them. And then they'll have it because you gave it to them. You got to be careful, parent. Be careful, grandma, grandpa. Be careful, believer. So as a pastor, I have to refuse to grow bitter. I've got to guard my heart. Number two, I have to refuse to fight. I have to refuse to fight. First of all, I have to refuse to grow bitter, but then I've got to refuse to fight. You know how easy it is to want to just say, fine, let's duke it out. Fine, let's go ahead and go head to head. Yeah, fine, let's go ahead and have a shouting match. Yeah, fine, I'll give you a little bit of what you're giving me. Do you know how easy that is in the flesh? But that's not how you handle things in a Christ-like fashion. And you say, well, Jesus flipped over the tables in the temple. Yeah, how many times did Jesus lose his temper? Count them in the Bible. It's only a couple of times. He lived 33 and a half years. And we only have recorded a few times that he got upset and that he expressed his anger. Listen, I mean, we can run to those verses and we can justify our anger and we can justify our wrath, but I'm telling you, it's, that's, that's really, that's lame. And it's not righteous indignation to fight back in that sense. And I'm not saying, now listen, I, I admit, you can get, it, it, it does, how many people does it take to fight? I'm talking about a fight now. It takes two. Good try, brother. I know who's starting the fights in your house. <clears throat> I feel bad for you, ma'am. But anyway, it takes two. It takes two to fight. Now listen, there's no, I admit you can get pretty beat up without fighting. But the pastor who retaliates rarely comes out on top, even if he's right. I'm going to tell you that right now. He can go ahead and he can say, I'm going to fight it face to face, toe to toe, nose to nose. But he's not going to come out on top. 
almost every time he's going to lose no matter what. Because you've got to understand there's more at stake than just your reputation. Whether or not you're right. See, don't just fight to prove you're right. There ought to be a purpose for a battle. You've got to realize there are people's lives weighing in the balance. You go ahead and you go toe-to-toe and you start to express yourself and think you have the right to fight it out, so to speak, then you just may lose somebody that could have been won. You may just wreck and ruin a life that could have been restored. You may just send a family off the deep end that could have been grounded. you got to think it through. This isn't about you. This isn't about how you feel about yourself or whether they respect you or not. you got to refuse to fight. Now, there may be a time when the man of God must take a stand and not be moved. I get that, where they say, I can't move. I'm, I'm in a biblical position. I cannot bend. I cannot give in. And if you consider that, uh, you know, aggression, you consider that fighting, you consider that whatever, that's fine. I cannot move on this. That's a different ballgame. But the spirit in which we do those things is so important as well. James chapter 3, verse 16. Turn there, would you? James 3, 16. Okay, so somebody... And the pastor, he, he's aware of this. He, he, he looks around and he says, you know what? I'm concerned that someone believes that I've become their enemy. I, I'm only trying to preach the truth. I'm only trying to give them truth. I only want to help guide them and I want to give them direction and leadership. I just want to be uh, the person to try to help them see the whole picture. But somehow they think I'm attacking. Somehow they believe I don't have their best interest at heart. Somehow I'm trying to withstand them or withhold them or keep them from the best God has. Or the expectations are too high. No one can live up to that. And you think, got it all mixed up. That's not the truth. We've got to refuse to fight James 3.16. Look what it says here. This is an amazing passage too. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You want to talk about a powerful passage. I mean, in this book of James, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Now again, we know that God's not the author of confusion. Have you ever been around a real fight? Let me ask you, what is that? Total confusion. I mean, honestly. I mean, I I remember going to the Rubber Bowl years ago with a a couple of buddies and friends, and I had this one friend, I don't know what it was, he always wanted to be right in the middle of everything. I still remember a big old fight breaking out down there in the, the stands at the Rubber Bowl. And we're just watching a football game. Had nothing to do with us at all. Next thing I know, we're looking around, we're so and so. And we look down into the middle of that, and he's up there going, Hit him, man! Go ahead! Don't let him talk to you like that! I'm like, what is he doing? I mean, there had to be a hundred people down there in a big pile. He got, fought his way into the middle and started going crazy, trying to get him to go at it again. Like, that is total confusion. He was out of his mind. But anyway, he's still out of his mind. But <laughs> But, but the fact is, is that, I mean, that's total confusion. And so when we look at this, we have to be careful, understand that God's not the author of confusion. 
And that's exactly what we see here. Let's define a few words in order to understand the passage a little bit. First of all, this word envy. What does the word envy mean here? Well, to feel uneasiness, mortification or discontent at the sight. Now watch this. To feel uneasiness, mortification or discontent at the sight of superior excellence. That's interesting, isn't it? To feel uneasiness, mortification, or discontentment at the sight of superior excellence, reputation, or happiness enjoyed by another. To repine at another's prosperity. To fret or grieve oneself at the real or supposed superiority of another. And to hate him on that account. So, you know... Envy, then, if, if you can try to wrap it up a little bit, and you may be able to do this better than I, but seems to be, it's, it's a feeling that someone is somehow superior to you for having something that you don't have. This feeling eventually grows into animosity and even hatred toward that person because you, in essence, feel inferior to them. See, it's not that they're trying to lord over you or somehow that what they have is an offense to you. It's that you want what they have, and you feel small because they look so big in your eyes. And you want what they have. And so you hate them for having what you feel you deserve. Isn't that amazing? That's what envy is. Well, what about that strife? Well, exertion or contention for superiority contest of emulation, either by intellectual or physical effort. So exertion or contention for superiority. So now the strife kind of goes with the envy then. So I see somebody who has something that I, that I really want, and I, feel, I look at them and, and feel as though either they perceive themselves as superior to me or I feel they're superior to me, and it bothers me, it angers me, it upsets me. It, 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 it really makes me even to the point where I could even hate them for it. Do we see that in our world today? Isn't it funny how people hate people that have money? Isn't that sad? Somebody works 60, 80 hours a week so they can have something, and someone who doesn't work at all is angry with them for having something they don't have? Oh, you think you're so much better than me? They never said that. You said that. we got to be careful. This envy's a bad fella, and it leads to strife, which means we're going to contend. We're going to fight back. Because we want the superiority. And the definition of the two words uncovers a correlation, basically, between the two, it seems. First, one envies or finds themselves feeling inferior to another. Then, in frustration and insecurity, they battle in order to feel equal with or superior to the one they envy. And that envy and strife, watch this, only produces something. What's it produce? Confusion and every evil work. What's it, what it's saying is that an envious person is capable of the most wretched wickedness imaginable. The moment you get to where you're not grateful and thankful for who you are and what you are and who, what you have, you are in danger of becoming the most vile, wretched sinner on earth and can, are capable of doing anything. 
And someone says, that's ridiculous. Okay. All right. Don't believe the Bible. And the truth is today is that, let's be honest, battles between members, battles between members and leadership are born out of pride and envy. That's what every battle's about. This battle for recognition and power leads to the most unbelievable and unchristian life uh, like attitudes and behaviors imaginable. You, I don't know about you, but have you ever heard some of the horror stories of church splits and things? I, I don't talk much about that because I honestly don't know have a lot of history. I, we've never had a church split. We've never had much of that. I think the most we ever had was like three families leave at one time. Praise God for that. That's nothing. It's something to me because they were my families. But it's nothing in comparison to the group that we had. I'm telling you that we are a very unusual church in the sense that we've not had these horror stories of, that we hear about at other churches. And let me tell you something. The problem is, is it's not about that there's such a bad this or so bad that. It's usually just that there's just pride and envy involved. People get angry because they're not getting what they feel they deserve, and they just, they, they're, they're going to fight to get it. Praise God we have a people here that say, we want to serve. Because I'll tell you what, we lose that, we're done. We're finished. Because the Bible's very clear here how it ends. You've got to let the Lord fight your battles. In 1 Samuel 17, 47... And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Boy, David's out there fighting Goliath. And let's be honest, little David, shepherd boy on the backside of a desert, he has no hope. There's no way in the world he's going to whoop this seasoned veteran that's twice his, well, three times his size probably. And has all that experience in battle. But I'm going to tell you something, he wasn't fighting David that day. He was fighting the Lord. But we have to let the Lord do our fighting for us. Finally, let me just give you this one under this one. This aspect of, and we're going to close it because we need to move because the nursery workers after Sunday night, I think, no, was it Sunday morning? Yeah, Sunday morning after that, whoa, they, were, they probably were having, pulling their hair out. But anyway, refuse to grow bitter, refuse to fight, and finally, choose to forgive. Choose to forgive. Never wait on someone else to seek your forgiveness. Always be willing to forgive. That's not always easy, especially if you've really been hurt. I, I can't even imagine some of the hurt and heartaches that some people have gone through, and even in our own church, and had to deal with sorrows and certain situations, abuses and things. I can't even fathom what you've endured. I can't imagine that, but yet it doesn't change the reality that forgiveness is absolutely essential. You still have to do it or you'll be the one that's the victim forever. But in Ephesians 4.31, we already discussed it. It was interesting. We read that 4.31 already. And in, in that particular passage, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then we come to verse 32. You probably know the verse almost by heart. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Here's the bottom line with this, at that particular point. 
You can never help somebody you are angry with. You'll never help somebody you're angry with. Well, you have to forgive people. If you're angry with someone, you're going to have a hard time showing compassion. You have a hard time. Well, you're not. You're going to have a hard time trying to help them. You, you, you can't approach people that you need to help with anger. Now, I'm not saying that you won't be upset with how they act or you're not in agreement with the position they take. I'm not talking about that. But you cannot be, I mean, angry. Oh, those people make me so mad. Well, you're going to have a hard time hearing from God what he wants you to do with them. You have a hard time. Are you praying for them? I'm praying for them, but it's hard. Yeah, you keep praying because sooner or later, God's going to have to break your heart like he did the Lord Jesus. In a sense, Jesus Christ was broken when he went to the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How many times have I prayed that prayer? I can't count it. I can't count the number of times I've said, Lord, forgive them. They, they don't know what they do. They don't have a clue what they're really doing here, how they're affecting people, how they're hurting their own family. I, I, I'm telling you, and, and you ought to learn to pray that prayer and forgive people before they ever ask for it. So as a pastor, if for some reason someone is expressing a kind of feel, I feel that they're, 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 they believe I've become the enemy. Man, I'm, I, I've got to get to the place where I just guard my own heart. And I do that by refusing to grow bitter. I just won't let that happen. I can't let that happen. I refuse to fight. I'm just not going to fight with you about it. There's too much at stake here. And, most, and, and more than that, my personal relationship with the Lord is at stake. And then I'm going to choose to forgive because I'm going to obey God and I'm just going to forgive. And I'm going to go forward because I, my goal, my heart, my desire is to help. I can't help people that I'm just angry with and upset with all the time. And so may you and I both, as we consider some of these points under that particular issue, just make that application. I mean, who, are you upset with somebody? You angry with people? Is there a root of bitterness that's been planted deep in your soul and it's just waiting to come up through the soil. Boy, let's face it. Let's just deal with those things. Let's deal with them and, and have the mind of Christ on it. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for just the, the, 